Part two, chapter six of Life and Lillian Gish. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by John Brandon. Life and Lillian Gish by Albert Bigelow Payne. Part two, chapter six. Home sweet home. Griffith had far greater battles in his mind in january he severed regular connection with the reliance majestic but arranged under their auspices to produce a civil war picture based on thomas dixon's book the clansman then early in february he took his entire group of players to the coast and began not that picture but pictures that would earn money for the undertaking no one not even griffith himself guessed the size of that undertaking but better than the others griffith knew that it would require an overhead which would cause among his backers an outbreak of apoplexy if they even got a hint of it griffith had a bent for melodrama also he knew there was money in it and money was very necessary just now in view of the big project ahead it occurred to him that john howard payne's home sweet home had a more universal appeal than any similar composition in the nation's history a story of the author's life followed by a set of scenes using that old heartthrob as a call to the erring wanderer or comfort to the heavy laden would be irresistible waltall would be cast as pain lillian as his sweetheart at the end a spiritual transition as in uncle tom at the reliance majestic or fine arts studio on sunset and hollywood boulevards the work was pushed forward rapidly to have the picture ready for spring release in a full-page announcement of the big new feature we read twenty-five famous screen stars will participate in the play which will be a very portentous one whether the printer meant to set pretentious or portentous is of small consequence it was both griffith meant to make it the former payne had he been consulted would have voted for the latter for in the picture he dies and goes to hell that a poet author of an immortal song could have been sent to hell even temporarily as late as the spring of nineteen fourteen shows how far we've traveled since then a newspaper symposium had abolished hell a good while before that time but perhaps griffith hadn't heard of it yet griffith made Payne abandon his sweetheart so doubtless it was proper that he should have a taste of hell even in nineteen fourteen then follow the episodes a young easterner is about to forsake may marsh apple pie mary when the strains of home sweet home on an accordion win him back to her calico-covered arms a businessman's wife is about to step out when a great musician in the flat below strikes up home sweet home and a wife's honor is safe the fact that great musicians so seldom play home sweet home as a pastime did not trouble griffith his did the picture ended in a manner no longer to be taken seriously Payne, waltall dying in sin 
goes promptly to an impressive hell a chasm in the mountains where arrayed in an astonishing costume considering the climate he is given a disagreeable time by certain devils wearing the falsest of false faces his sweetheart lillian dying a saint had gone straight to heaven a sort of grown-up little eva must pain remain in hell not above a week at the longest little eva suspended on wires as when she had been the gold fairy of belasco descends in a white robe and her poor renegade lover seizing the folds of that immaculate garment is borne upward and outward to paradise backing away from the audience so that their faces may never be lost probably only the beauty of walthall and lillian saved such a scene even in that remote time from the shouts of joy which would surely greet it to-day seventeen years later in the little projection-room on seventh avenue i watched with lillian an unreeling of this ancient film it seemed to me as i think to her pretty crude in places childish the costumes had been selected from an assortment something more limited than the old biograph wardrobe and were either amusing or pathetic as you happen to think the acting was not much better i don't quite know what was the matter with it but it conveyed the impression of being amateurish though all the actors were in effect stars lillian's half hysterical wasn't i terrible expressed one's general feeling as to all of them may marsh in a comedy part was the best of the lot the photography was on a par with the rest of it yet it followed judith of bethulia by several months what was the matter and since we have been speaking of little eva perhaps this is as good a place as any to state that lillian had never at any time played that part she might have done so had there been any uncle tom combinations when she was a child trooper uncle tom had died permanently by that time interviewers however when they looked at her could not believe when she told them that she had played little willie in east lyme that she was not saying little eva in uncle tom and they so often printed this statement that in time she almost believed it herself i'm making a special paragraph of this denial to set the matter straight for all of us busy days these under one director and another griffith kept lillian and dorothy going usually in different pictures though sometimes as in the sisters together they made an attractive pair but griffith could not afford to waste them on small pictures program pictures besides it was not easy to get stories picture stories to fit dorothy became a star on her own account with walthall in the mountain rat a western and in the mysterious shot with jack pickford who had joined the movie forces jack apparently had conquered his old infatuation for we hear nothing further of it the rat was dorothy's first star part and a very good one of its kind being that of a red-light girl 
considered then rather a daring portrayal for a girl of sixteen all these were potboilers while preparations for the great civil war spectacle went forward they also kept the names and faces of griffith stars before the public an important matter for the field was getting full of producers stars were being created almost overnight nor did griffith let them get into a rut by working always under one director lillian alternately under christy cabaney and jack o'brien was receiving liberal training which would you rather work under a reporter asked both their methods are entirely different i learn a great deal from each interviews were very frequent now the reporters kind they referred to lillian and dorothy as the darlings of the screen and they rarely failed to remember belasco's verdict which found its way even to massillon massillon girl called the most beautiful blonde in the world made a three-column headline with a picture of lillian to prove it as if everybody in massillon hadn't known that long ago End of part two, chapter six, recording by John Brandon.